In today's quest, we unearth the tales of a long-forgotten king who was a powerhouse in his time. This is the quest for power. Welcome back, my friends, to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are Scott and Michael, and we are your self-proclaimed European lore masters for your journey through the ages. And today, we're going to be diving into the life and reign of Teuderic. And if you are looking for some extra content and want to support us, we are building a library of some extra stuff for you guys to check out at patreon.com slash quest for power. So we've kind of uh, talked a lot about music lately. Yes, we have. So I'm assuming that's something we've all been just like, we've been jamming out, right? That's what, yes. we're, that's what yes. we do? Yes, that's what we've been doing. Uh, uh, yeah, we just had what, like a good... <laughs> 20 minute conversation about metal bands yeah it's bad well like yeah. we're we're diving into old into old albums oh yeah um, really yeah. getting like the earworms out so yeah um, i once again expect like epica to be at my most listened band once again this year because apparently i can never just like get those uh earworms uh out I was in the top 2% of listeners for a Amaranth in the which entire is, world. I know that they don't get is... like a small number of listeners, but it makes me think of like, you know, oh, wow, either, you know, you listen a lot or they don't get very many listens. And, you know, I guess compared to like, you know, I'm sure plenty of other artists out there, they're much smaller, but yeah, yeah. they do. They do. Okay. But but to get in the top 2% is still a little ridiculous. And Spotify lets me know every time. Granted, I haven't been using Spotify this year. I've been using YouTube music. So maybe uh, Spotify won't judge me as harshly. Mm, yeah, but you'll deep down, you'll know. <laughs> any, yeah. any particular reason for the changeover? Um, yes. Uh, for Spotify, my wife and I can't use it at the same time. And because we, time? I have, I have premium. We use premium because I, we both, because oh. we have commercials. You can't use it at the same time unless you buy like a family plan or whatever. And I already use YouTube Red, and I have since like the days of college because I just can't stand ads. Okay. And and you can um, listen to it when you lock your phone. And some of the YouTube channels I watch slash listen to, I I don't like watching them because it's just you know it's just images but the the words behind it it's like a podcast but it's a youtube episode so yeah. that's why i did that and then i discovered youtube music this year i when it first started i hated it but now when i did it now oh it is so much better than spotify because of the algorithm is using google's algorithm which is you know top notch you can't beat Google or YouTube's algorithm. They're too Actually, I don't know. A lot of people, uh, a lot, a lot of people said they enjoy um, the Spotify algorithm. Yeah, yeah, Spotify can send you into a loop, and I am someone who always wants that type of music I'm listening to, but not the same kind of stuff i want different i want to explore i want to find new stuff that's how i found uh, quite a bit of my um metal bands i started i mean i started with nightwish went to epica found my way to somehow to amaranth after forever the know. natural yeah the natural progression um yeah, yeah well it's actually really funny because i always feel like i get trapped in youtube algorithms and for some reason uh, to my own detriment, I found that one of the only podcasts I ever listened to, it, they, they like cut out for a while and then they revived themselves onto YouTube instead. And uh, that's uh, the, the Resleevables, which is where they talk about, they rank and review, not really, they just review. 
magic sets, um, oh, magic gotcha. gathering sets. And these two, these guys are like, you know, commentators. So they have the uh, vocal chops. And also they're just genuinely interesting, like people. So they talk, they have the historical knowledge. They've got the game knowledge. And it's something that I appreciate, even though I've dialed back my magic playing significantly. Um, and yeah, genuinely cool. And that's where my, uh, my last two brain cells will reside on their channel until they, until I either catch up or they decide to call it quits. <laughs> there you go. Already. Sp- <laughs> I don't know how we can transition to two brain cells, but, um, we, ju- we talked about judgy earlier and I know someone who is quite judgy and near and dear to my heart. And that is our sources, especially Gregory of tours who loves to just be very, very judgy. Um, also this week we have a new one. He's called Flotoard of Reims. He was a Frankish chronicler and a priest for the Cathedral Church of Reims decades after the dissolution of the Carolingian Empire in the 10th century. So he's writing long after the events that happen. And we get Beowulf as a historical source, so that's kind of fun. You never really think of them as a or that as a historical source. I've got a I got a feeling that this isn't the same Beowulf that I'm thinking of. I uh, know it. it. It very much is. Like the, the the you're talking about the Saxon epic poem. Yes. Yep. It is that one. Huh. We'll <laughs> we'll get into it, but yes, it is the one and the same. Don't worry. I we don't have monsters. We do have a giant, but again, we'll we'll get into that <laughs> when we cross it. But before that, let's head on to the main quest and kneel before Teuderic of House Merovingian, the first of his name, the Vengeful, King of Soissan, King of Reims, King of Austrasia. Austrasia is kind of a mixture of I some part of Soissan and a different um, kingdom, I think. And so that's why we say Austrasia. It, it, the naming gets get kind of weird. If you look up what he is the king of, they will just start labeling tons of odd kingdoms at the time because it all changes hands, even though it was, you know, a certain kingdom at the time. So at the time, he would be kingdom of Soissan and kingdom of Reeves of reams he later was given the title king of australia it's like australia right (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure very yeah my favorite (laughs) my favorite european location australia yeah yeah it's not austria we don't talk about that that's over south (laughs) yeah clearly different australia is only one letter away it's close It's called close enough. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's probably somewhere around Austria, I would assume. Yeah, I, I, this episode is why I love history. The stories are going to be so ridiculous at times. I mean, like we said, we have Beowulf as a historical source, and it is backed up by Gregory of Tours. So that's kind of nuts in and of itself. And I thought this episode, you know, because I've never heard of him before. I've heard of Clotaire, one of Clovis's sons, but never him. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a 30-minute episode. And I was wrong. We're going to break his reign. We're going to break his reign into about four stories. So with that, let's roll. Prologue. Born between 485 and 490, Teuteric is for sure the son of Clovis, as we discussed last, not last episode, two episodes ago. It is now commonly accepted that his mother is Clovis's wife, Evo Kildis of Cologne, who is a Frankish princess from Reims, France. So we didn't say that at Clovis's episode because I found out later. Now you know. Uh, Christian, as again, we'll talk about Christian sources at the time, did a really good job of washing away most of the evidence of Clovis's wives and concubines, except for the glorious St. Clotilda. And uh, his mother, the reason for this is his mother is labeled as a second-rate wife, which 
to the Christian Roman historians at the time, they mistakenly interpreted that as a concubine because they're not really aware, they weren't aware of what the Germanic polyamorous family structures are. And they probably really didn't care because it wouldn't fit their narrative, you know, to kind of go into some nuance. I couldn't find what exactly second rate wife was. I think it's just <laughs> not first rate wife. I, yeah, just I, like, less favorite less favorite wife i'm guessing but she was a wife not a concubine which is a pretty big difference yeah yeah no i think it's just to say that uh she wasn't clotilda yes exactly and that's that's all we need to know as you can imagine we don't know jack about his childhood except for he was probably raised with the army during clovis's conquests and uh you know either watched or took part in all the brutal fighting and uh, probably got his chops there. And as we have discussed twice now, Clovis died in 511. We'll say that a couple of more times. His kingdom was split up between his son, Teuteric, and Clotilda's sons, Clotomer, Clotaire, and Kildebert, got the lion's share of the broken up properties. He received Austrasia along with part of Aquitaine, and he got most of Aquitaine from the former kingdom of Cologne on his mother's side. So his mother was important enough that he got more land because of her versus Clotilda's children. Interesting. Not sure how that, yeah. Like all this like medieval land inheritance starts. Uh, it's enough to make one's head spin. Yeah, yes it is. Um, and to give a kind of background, at the time of his uh, reign, uh, when Teuteric is crowned king, Theodoric the Great is ruling the Ostrogoths, and the forgettable Therasamund, because I don't remember what he did, is on the Visigothic throne. Unless he's the king that decided he wanted to have a debate on Arianism versus Christianity with his subjects. Um... I could be wrong. I think that was in the, um, oh my God, uh, the Vandals. Oh my God, that is terrible. I wrote that. See, that's how forgetful he, forgettable he was. Yes, he was a Vandal king. Wow. Some, some lore master I am. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, when you do this long enough and you dive into the weeds, it's bound to uh, leave a few details here or there. Yes. That's what recordings are for. It's there to uh, capture things forever. Chapter one. Beowulf. At some point in his life, he sired a legitimate heir named Teutobert from an unknown woman. We don't know if uh, Teutobert is from a concubine or a wife. There's a good chance that it was from a wife. In 516... Teuteric received news that an uninvited Danish guest by the name of King, this is going to be fun, Klokilakus, or Hylak and Beowulf. King Hylak had invaded his realm and he was raping, enslaving, killing, pillaging, and taking everything not nailed down from his subjects in northern Gaul. And so Teuteric mustered up all his courage and pointed to Teutobert and said, go do something, put a stop to the raiding. So what had happened is while the Danes were raiding, they got enough loot and they wanted to head back. But there was a problem. The tide had, you know, it, it had come in and they needed it to go out to get out of wherever it is they were trying to go to go back to Daneland. And at some point, they heard this massive storm coming. Their eyes widened, and oh shit meter went off the rails when they saw other psychopathic killers that were not defenseless peasants coming over the horizon and charging right towards them with the head of Teutobert, which is Teuteric's son. I'm going to mix those up at some point. Teutobert invoked the castle doctrine. He destroyed King Hylak. And as the boats of the survivors were trying to get away, Teuteric defeated them in naval battle, got back all the stolen loot, and then some. And so that's then pretty, some. Yeah. 
because the, the... they didn't they didn't just go in the way i mean they're they didn't all right let's put it this way they're vikings this is the first vikings we encounter they don't they didn't just start in his territory they started in other territories yeah. so he got right. other territories loot fair enough so i'm like boy you don't want to bring your own loot <laughs> that'd be silly that would be but that's that's where that came from fair and enough. so a funny little fact about this scene in beowulf is that the franks named this king king Hyglak because they were shocked by his appearance and thought he was a giant he was so shockingly massive to them that his bones were left exposed for a long time for Merovingian tourists. Wow. Just <laughs> right. freakishly big. He, he must have been. That's, I'm get, uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, either that or like, you know, the, the, the Merovingians were just like short statured people, you know? Uh, there's a good chance that that is what it was and that the danes were these big tall people compared to them not not malnourished like uh <laughs> people who are living in the the wake of the death of the roman empire yeah yeah probably well i mean these guys are royalty they're not exactly malnourished yeah fair enough and uh i just think it's funny that the nobility is 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 like so impressed by these bones that <laughs> it is used as a tourist attraction and what's really impressive about this battle, it is highly unlikely Teutobert used a fleet since it's very unlikely that he had one to use. So I'm I, I'm uh, not sure how he did it. Probably stole their own ships. I'm not entirely sure. I'm willing to bet that all of this loot went to the warriors in the king's treasury and not to like you know the people who it was taken from uh, no yeah yeah pretty much. <laughs> but granted they were also probably dead it's the protection tax yes there you go i mean <laughs> you know i mean apart from the any other taxes they might pay yeah yeah there you go yeah it was you gotta pay the warriors some somehow yeah i yeah i'm pretty sure that loot is a very strong incentive for these guys oh yes that um in fact it's not until the chivalry like when age of chivalry when you actually have professional knights and armies most of these guys it is either like um in in england it's called the third which is a bunch of peasants who are raised in the army or these guys who they're paid by loot that they're not paid by just sitting around. So as you can imagine, they they want to get into trouble so they can get paid. Yeah, it's all about, it all comes down to motivations. Definitely does. It's very it's a very violent pay, pay structure. <laughs> that it is. Gregory of Tours actually talks about this in the history of Franks, along with Liber Historiae Francum. So even though this whole thing kind of sounds outrageous, it's it's mentioned by com three completely different sources. So there might be some merit to this. And that's our first story out of the way. Chapter two, trouble with the in-laws and other kin slaying activities. So the reason he might not have wanted to go to war himself and that he sent his son is that he had wedding plans coming up that he didn't want to miss especially because he was the groom. Don't think that would have gone over too well. Yeah, yeah. Wife would be pretty unhappy about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In either 516 or 517, he got married to a Burgundian princess named Suavegotha. She is the daughter of King Sigismund, who is Gundobad's son and Ostrogotho's son. Who, and she is the daughter of one of our previous high kings, King Theodoric the Great. Now we're starting to get into our podcast where all of these things, all of our kings and queens are going to be intermingled. Fun. In a Not huge, confusing at all. It, it's going to be a very fun, confuse, confusing uh, family trees coming up need to you know it'll be like a big family reunion yes exactly 
Uh, this marriage seemed to have been intended to create an alliance between the House of Burgundy and the House of Teuteric. That is all the sources kind of say. They don't really say any other reason for it. Together, they had a daughter named Teutekild, and she would go to become a saint. So he's the father of a saint. He's got that going for him. It's hereditary. It is. There's a lot of saints in this family. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> there must have been a pretty big falling out with the Burgundian in-laws because sometime Teuteric teams up with his brothers to go fight his wife's father, King Sigismund of Burgundia. Interesting. I'm assuming, I know that she probably didn't have much of a say in that, but uh, I would have been curious on what her uh, what her thought was on that. <laughs> I would love to have known what her thought was. We have no idea. We have By no the idea way, she... <laughs> yeah. you know, your dad, you know, that guy, King of Burgundy. Yeah, we're um, we're at war with him now. And and you do want to know the reason why? Because mm. of his dad kale, killed Clotilda's parents, and so she incited her sons to go kill him as an act of vengeance for her family. Oh, who are yeah. also Burgundians. Is, we went through that is this. That. <laughs> yep. that is the thing is... we talked about last time. Okay, it is. I was waiting for it to see if you were going to catch up. Yep, that yeah, is correct. No. no, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of kingdom names. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. We're I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, but gotta. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Well, we'll eventually you'll start just being immersed in this world and know it inside and out. One will hope. The four Frankish kings ally themselves together and invade Burgundy. The Burgundians put themselves in a defensive position. Alrighty. The stage is set for a 4v2 showdown. On one side of the battlefield, we have the defenders, which include team captains King Sigismund of Burgundia of Burgundy and his brother Godomar of Burg Burgundy. On the other side, we have the aggressors, Team Clotilda. And this includes team captains Teuteric I, Clodomer, Kildebert, and Clotaire. Despite a heroic defense, the Burgundians were solidly defeated. Godomar retreats to fight another day, and Teutobert's father-in-law, Sigismund, puts on a monk's robe, and he hides in a cell near his abbey. Clodomer finds him cowering in a corner and has him put into chains. Clodomer, Clodomer also captures Sigismund's wife and remaining children. The entire family is executed, then thrown down in a well in a symbolic act of revenge for Clotilda and the wrong done to her family by Sigismund's father, Gundobad. We talked about this last week. Apparently, it was the entire family and not just Sigismund was thrown down the well. Ah, well, it's kind of oh. it's kind of fun. It's uh, fun for the whole family. Yeah, yeah. Good family activity yeah so <laughs> you know poetic justice said it last time wonderful yeah. this was not theodoric the great's niece ostergotho she had already passed away we unfortunately do not know the uh, name of this poor woman or their children that were thrown down the well so it appears after the execution of his in-laws theodoric decided to make his way back home <laughs> we have no idea how Teuteric's wife reacted to her father, stepmom, and stepbrothers being murdered in cold blood and thrown down a well. I can't mm. imagine she would be thrilled by that that news. Unless she just didn't like them. Just yeah. Good riddance. Yeah, yeah. Get get those people out of here. That's one more that's one more, you know, dinner I don't need to attend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She she's already she, married she, off. She yeah. I'm yeah. I'm guessing that she did have thoughts but could not display her thoughts. And uh things were probably pretty icy between her and the king, is what I would be guessing. 
one may guess. Just don't tell her. Yeah. Keep that little <laughs> keep that little secret under wraps. Where were you? Oh, I was in I was in Italy. I went to Rome. Yeah, saw the <laughs> I went sites. to go say hi to the Pope. <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, your your family's not responding to your letters. Uh, you know, Ooh, it's uh, dangerous. The roads are dangerous these days. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't go lost home in the mail. I wouldn't go home. It, 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 there's a lot of uh, brigands out there. So, yeah. So, um, you know, the water's bad there. <laughs> yeah, the water's bad. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That's just yeah. Just leave it under wraps. It's fine. Yeah, so either after hiding it from his wife or explaining to his wife why he had to be part of the killing of her family, a courier came by with the letter for his eyes only from his brother Clodomer. In the letter, Clodomer says, Yeah, the garrison we left behind, they were massacred, and Godomar has regained the territory and now has the Burgundian throne himself. We need to finish what we started. So after sighing, grabbing a good, probably entire bottle of mead and, and downing it, he put on his armor, slapped his knee, and headed out with his forces to meet up with Clotimer. Once again, we have the Dream Team Clotilda line up in formation to take on a member of the House of Burgundy at the Battle of V. <laughs> I don't speak French. Versonce? Give it your best go. Yeah. Vesonce, Battle of Vesonce. Yeah, there's probably a few silent letters in that. I'm guessing. That's what <laughs> I, we're going yeah. with. Well, that's something we'll have to work on. I, I'm using my Spanish knowledge, which is a romance language with French. Somewhere in there. It translates, right? Perfect. Perfect. Even, even, one to one. There we go. So, in one corner, all alone, holding up the entire Burgundian kingdom by himself is King Godemar. In the other corner, we once again have the undefeated powerhouse tag team of kings, the Teuteric, Clodomer, Kildebert, and Clotaire. Who do you think's going to win? I mean, history stands to reason that the, you know, the, the, the good guys win, you know, the dream team. The dream also, team. Because it's a team, and he's Godemer is not a team. He is a he is but a man. That he, and also you think his army would be like you know, kind of dashed at this point. Yeah, at the very least, pretty destroyed. You'd think that unless unless it's his own personal army, and unless he didn't, Sigismund just lost his men and not. Yeah. Well, no, but he fought in that battle and lost. So. Yeah. Well, fighting breaks out between the two forces, and against astronomical odds, Godomer defeats the Franks, and Clodomer is killed in the fighting. We went over this in uh, Clotilda's episode. This war is far from over, and it's going to continue on in the next episode with Teutobert. So, as we discussed in Clotilda's episode, we'll mention this ton of times Clotaire had his children murdered except for one who came, became a monk the remaining three brothers divided up his kingdom and Theodoric acquired even more land and let Clotaire do all the dirty work for him all in all in all good days of work chapter three vengeance is mine says the lord one day chilling in his palace Hopefully by now his wife has forgave him, although it's kind of hard to forgive kin slaying, especially your parents. Water under the bridge. A courier came by uh, for his eyes only, and it was a message from King Ermanifried of Thuringia, and he wrote, Hey friend, I got a proposition for you, and it's going to give us both more power. If you help me kill my irritating brother, Baderic, you can have half of the kingdom of Thuringia. Theodobert simply sent a reply, deal. 
what a great, you know, he has, he doesn't even have to justify going to war to acquiring more land. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Yeah. Feels like a trap to me, but it's like one of those, if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. Yeah. You know? yeah that, that's possible. In 529, the forces met for a 2v1 death match. In one corner, we have Beaderic with his Thuringians, his challengers staring him down in the other corner. We have Hermanifried and his hatred towards his brother, and Theodoric with all of his ranks. The forces meet, they clash, axes are exchanged, Beaderic's forces are defeated, his head is severed from his body, Ermanifried is now the sole king of the Thuringians. So, a job well done. Theodoric went to Ermanifried and said, I fulfilled my side of the bargain. And then he's like, all right, so, you know, how are we going to map out these new borders now that I get half of Thuringia? And somehow, Ermanifried was in a position <laughs> and had the gall <laughs> to tell Theodoric, about that yeah i'm not gonna give you any of it but thank you for the help saw that coming a mile away yes you did <laughs> after probably dropping several curses at hermanifried and had to be held back teuteric now had a new mission in life i'm guessing this exchanged over letters or heralds because i'm pretty confident teodoric would have just grabbed his axe and split Ermanifried's head open if he told that to his face Either that or he really wasn't in the position yeah you know, like, he took more losses than anticipated kind of thing that could be or his forest men were just exhausted yeah and so he began plotting his revenge he got his half-brother clotaire to assist him along with his son who is now battle-tested, Teutobert. And in 531, the forces meet at the Battle of Unstruck River for a 3v1 deathmatch. All of these, all of these uh, battles, they're, they're just always one-sided in terms of forces. Probably how most of history goes. Well, you know, you gotta... You, I mean, you want to fight the fights that are not favorable for your opponents. Yes, and speaking of unfavorable, it's generous calling this a battle. The Franks unceremoniously slaughtered and massacred the outnumbered Thuringi. And during the battle, Hermanifried went, run away! I, I don't know who to feel like more ashamed of is like, yeah, the Thuringi are, yeah, I feel like happy. You know, they got their comeuppance. But also there's a certain level of like, you know, it's like really... You really thought Teodoric was like, you really thought that he was just going to give you half his kingdom? It's kind of just, yeah. I, shame on you for falling <laughs> for something so obvious. To, you know. And yeah. Then, yep. And then, yeah, obviously, it feels good that, you know, the, the swindling uh, Thurungi king got his comeuppance. That he did. So it, it, it all works out in the end, but hopefully, um, Teuta, oh my god, Teodoric came out a wiser and more skeptical man. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. Uh, the Franks ended up catch capturing Ermanifried's niece, Radagund, and his nephews during battle. Keep in mind that we just said nephews and we actually named Radagund for later. Put a put a box around that name. Alright. Teuteric sent emissaries to Ermanifried promising safe conduct, ordering him to Zulpik, which is a town in Western Germany. So he's kind of flipping, you know, the the promises he's going to be promising. Uh, just a kind of a side note, this town is where Clovis beat the Alamanni at the Battle of Tolbeck, where he promised to get baptized. So I wonder if there was like, some sort of symbolic symbolism going on that he uh had Hermanifried come there instead of <laughs> like, in his like capital. I hope you get saved. 
or I'm going to send you to God. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. Uh, yeah, either that or he's like, I swear on a holy relic. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, that's really interesting. Romanifried arrived, and immediately upon arrival, Teuteric felt very, very generous. He showered him with gifts, and he truly welcomed like an honored guest. The two exchanged, you know, conversations, and eventually they began walking around the city. And I would love to know what that conversation's like. Probably, like, yeah, tough breaks, you know? Yeah, like, two two rivals that uh, have uh, done a number to each other. Yeah, I feel like uh, came out pretty lopsided in the end. Yeah, yeah, it did. And so they were walking on the walkway of the town walls. They had made their way there. And out of nowhere, an unidentified person lost to history, pushed Hermanafried, and he fell to his death. There it is. And uh, Gregory finds it necessary to mention that some people think Teuteric might have had something to do with it. It's uh, genetic is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm just saying I'm like waiting for like, where's our, uh, where's our like hereditary uh, backstabbing Clovis brand of diplomacy? Yes, dad would have been so proud. Yeah, he probably would have said you should have done that sooner. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. Yeah, and jeez. <laughs> and after Hermanifried's unfortunate fall, the alliance of Clotaire, Teutobert, and Teuteric all invaded what was left of Thuringian kingdom and laid waste and easily captured it. There was very minor resistance. And so they began to negotiate for the spoils of war and Clotaire and Teuteric really wanted the Thuringian princess Radegund, who clearly had no say in the matter. Yep. Like they wanted her like Clovis wanted Clotilda. So either she was pretty hot or they wanted the connection with that Thuringi royalty as, you know, some form of legitimacy in the era, area, or both. It could be both. Some, sometimes, uh, sometimes coincidences pan out like that. It's nice. Yes. It's nice. It's nice when your uh, future forced wife is hot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as yeah. it turns out, it's nice to be attracted to the people you marry. Yeah, and uh, and uh, they have no say in the matter. Yeah, now, we will actually have a whole episode on her, so she's not going away. All at right. Least, I at least from the information I skimmed, I think we can get an episode. Okay. And in the end, Clotaire won the argument on the childish grounds of I got her first uh, because his men actually captured her instead of Teuteric during the fighting. Dibs. Yep, exactly. All was not lost for Teuteric, though. He was finally able to annex his half of Thuringia that was originally promised him by Hermanifried. All right. See. Happy ending. What a, yep. what a storybook. And everyone ending. lived happily ever after. The end. Chapter four. You idiots. Despite the massive rivalries, Clovis's sons rarely took arms against each other, and they often teamed up and then split up the spoils of war, as some of our previous stories have indicated and this was all to avoid civil war amongst themselves which is pretty deranged logic when you examine it for like more than five seconds uh i mean hey as long as uh everyone's getting a piece of some kind of pie it's yeah. all fine as long <laughs> exactly. as the pie doesn't run out exactly. and the pie never runs out right Growth oh no forever no th there's ever-growing pie everything yeah all pies grow forever that's that's what i understand so as long as the pie never stops growing it'll be fine it'll be fine i'm sure yeah. no problems will ever come of this no 
However, as shown by the fate of Clodomer's children, all bets are off if one of the brothers is killed in terms of their offspring. So, mm. a silly little rumor that a monarch died could have some pretty significant impact that is not a rumor to their children. Ah, and. Yep. And uh, one such rumor started floating around about Teuteric dying in battle while he was at war with the Thuringians in about 531. And previously, Teuteric had declared that in the event of his death, the crown would pass to his son Teutobert. Made pretty clear he made he made him seem like his heir went to battle with him, you know, that kind of yeah, stuff. I mean, good. Yeah, it's a will, which is nice. Get that out of the way. And uh, it, the the thing with wills during this time, they're not they're just pieces of paper, as uh, as Barbosa would say, they're more like guidelines. Well, I mean, all wills are pieces of paper. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, in, in no, this, I get where you're saying in this in this world, uh, it's it's as about as worth as that paper. A lot because paper <laughs> was more hard to come by back then than today. That is very true. That is true. Look at that. So instead of making sure the king was actually dead, the region of Claremont Fernand in his kingdom decided to take immediate action to get ahead of the inevitable civil war. Not the king is dead, just... Went straight to the long live the king. Yes, exactly. And it appears that this uh, region didn't want to Utebert to rule over them, and that they would much rather be ruled by his step-uncle Kildebert, who was not involved in the Thuringian campaign. I'm sure that everyone was happy with that arrangement. The nobles must have agreed because they sent a messenger to Kildebert's court inviting him to come over and take control of the region. Kildebert also decided against due diligence and he sent a message that, of course, I will place my protection over you and that I am on my way to secure the region. Clear... So Kildebert arrived in Claremont and he was about to occupy the city when a courier, one of his scouts completely out of breath, handed him a note that was from one of his spies. It turns out King Teutobert was very much alive and actually he was just returning home from Thuringia with the spoils of war. Kildebert immediately sends out messengers out to all of his forces going, abort, 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 do not attack. <laughs> he then sneaks out of there as fast as humanly possible, and then he starts attacking the Visigoths in southern France for the rest of the year. <laughs> Good cover. Good cover. <laughs> it like reminds me of like when you're caught doing something you absolutely shouldn't do, and everyone knows you did it, but yet you decide to go do something yeah you gotta gotta commit commit to the lie exactly so what are you gonna do admit that you were gonna just start a kind of a civil war (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) while this power while teudbert clearly is not someone to be crossed as he has taught people lessons in the past that he is his father's son well now uh we have that awkward moment of like okay you know who invited him <laughs> yeah yeah and actually teutobert arrived to his palace probably he was really happy you know he just came off of the thuringian campaign got another good portion of land got a, quite a bit of loot most likely his uh his warriors are all happy he, he's he's about to throw a grand feast and then one of his advisors comes up to him and he quickly catches Teutobert on what was going on while Teutobert was teaching the Thuringians some manners. Teutobert did not provide a feast. Instead, he flew into a fiery rage and probably said in detail how he was going to torture and kill those bastards responsible. Yeah, damn straight. 
I, I, when I was first researching this, I like, uh, visioned like a letter that he would send to kill the bird, like with the dark brotherhood hand of Skyrim. And then with the simple message of, I know, I mean, if there was a cause for civil war, this would be it. Yes, this would be. So Theodobert went, all right, someone needs to pay for this. He grabbed his forces that were battle hardened. They had a high morale and they probably still had that bloodlust. And they laid waste to the disloyal district of Claremont in 532. According to Gregory of Tours, the irate king and his army of bloodthirsty warriors entered Claremont, hunted down the leaders who invited Kildabert, and unceremoniously executed them, most likely along with their families. Leave no Traitors. Yeah, leave no stone unturned. He then attacked fortresses in the area of the garrisons that were disloyal to them, and then he also taught them a manner manners by massacring them. In the next life, maybe they'll uh, learn. Yeah, yeah, he, he really taught them a lesson. Uh, Gregory of Tours paints the scene as follows, quote, The army ran riot through the whole region attacking everything, destroying everything. When he finished his quest for vengeance against the local population, he placed a trusted family member named Sigvald in charge of the loyal garrison. I couldn't find any more information on Sigvald other than the name Sigvald. And he gave him the task of watching over what remained of Claremont. And then sometime in 534, Teuteric becomes ill and he passes away. And I'm guessing it's because all that rage wasn't really great for his immune system. Yeah, his uh, his heart rate too high, blood pressure yeah. too high. Yeah, I'm guessing that. Yeah. <laughs> that is the eventful reign of Teuteric I. Are you ready to rank him? Yeah, let's give her a go. Royal power. He started his reign ruling the new kingdom of Austrasia. During his reign, he defended his lands from a Danish invasion, got quite a bit of loot from their destruction. He helped conquer the Burgundian kingdom, got a piece of it, got a piece of Clodomer's kingdom after Clodomer's kids were disposed of. He conquered the kingdom of Thuringia and he got at least half of it. When someone crossed him, he exacted revenge swiftly and without remorse. He made it very clearly what happens if you go against him. Bonus points for him. If you look at a map, sorry, I'm going to give him extra bonus points because if you look at a map, his kingdom is split apart by his schemy brothers. And he somehow manages to not only hold it, but expand it. We will post one of these maps along with like our social media and stuff. So you probably can find it on Instagram or Facebook. His stuff is in the blue. He is in the kingdom of Soissons and the kingdom of Reims. And as you show, his, it, his is like a river right cut through his kingdom with his brother's land. So kind of impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Since he's kind of cut down the middle. Exactly. And look how close Claremont is to, uh, you know, his brother's kingdom. It's not not that far. So I can see why they thought that was a good idea, even though it didn't work out for them. Just think, if we didn't divide this up in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And we actually had primogeniture. Yeah, I know. Would be nice. And nice. Teodoric seems like a king that would have been able to handle it. Yeah, that's fair. Could have at least not had the division down the middle. Yeah, I don't get that one at all. Sounds like a nightmare trying to like march people across. Yeah, definitely. The only negative I have against him is when he conquered Thuringia, he did not get the hand of the princess Radagund, which would have added significantly to his power and legitimacy in Thuringia when he conquers it. Hmm. Yeah. So... That's that's what I got for royal power. What are you thinking? Oh, 
pretty darn good. Let's see. Because he expands. I mean, this feels like a solid, like, know, like an eight or something. That's what I thought of eight as well. Look at that. It's like we discussed this beforehand, except we actually don't. <laughs> we just know each other too well. Apparently, that and also we're reading from the same script. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, eight and eight for 16. Next, infamy. All right, so for aggravating factors, he was the accomplice to the brutal murder of his in-laws, and this will create a blood feud between the House of Merovingian and the House of Burgundy. He laid waste to his own lands when they challenged his rule. I'm sure many innocents were murdered during his quest for revenge. He Directly or indirectly. Yeah, and he likely had Hermanifried murdered under right of safe conduct, which is a pretty big no-no. Um, we're not quite in honor culture quite yet, but not great. And I'm the only. I'm going to take some points off of that because Hermanifried was dumb to go there in the first place, unless he really had no choice but to go there to you know beg for forgiveness. I mean, it sounded like a death sentence, but. Maybe that was, uh, yeah, all you could do. Hope that they, you know, forgive you and don't come back and totally, you know, annihilate you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the scene's pretty, you know, infamous, just not quite there. Yeah, not that's another eight. <laughs> yep, that's what I was thinking too. Like his, that. it's like his power, pretty powerful, pretty infamous, but not. Clovis, <laughs> he, he didn't make me gasp. Yeah, uh, yeah, <gasps> yeah, not that. All right, another sixteen total all around. Religious passion. He appointed Saint Nicetus to become the bishop of Trier, and he actually seemed to enjoy the bishop, despite the bishop always telling him what he does wrong. <laughs> That would be so annoying. Sounds like a good advisor. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, yeah, And actually, Nicetus ended up being like his spiritual director of the king, and he was seen quite a bit in the presence of the king. So he was always getting advice, and he was taking advice from the church, essentially. And wow. he, this, uh, and this uh, Nicetus helped the king rebuild Trier after years of violence and war i mean this thing looked not it looked like the medieval equivalent of world war ii went through it and now he started to rebuild it polished it up quite a bit and uh it's pretty it's commonly suggested that teuteric Te and his son teutobert are kind of the reasons for that All um right. the other thing is that teutobert commissioned or again, or his son, the two get mixed up quite a bit. Turns out historians get confused by them too. They commissioned the Merovingian crypt of St. Maximin, which if I read the sources correctly, this has a tie into the bones, body, or skull of St. Mary of Magdala. Yes, that one. Yeah, that yeah. you know the important one. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, there is zero evidence that she is an ancestor of the Merovingian line despite what you know da Vinci codes de depictions but this is probably where Dan Brown got his inspiration from and there is quite a bit of Frankish um, lore that she ran away to France after or in that time it would have been she ran away to Gaul after Jesus was executed to avoid persecution all the way over by where she was. That would have been a haul, but it's not yeah. impossible at this time, especially with sea travel. Yeah, that and Roman Roman roads. Yeah, you had yeah. Roman infrastructure. So could so. happen, could not have happened. I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole with this thing. Just type in Merovingian crypt of St. Maximin and just get lost. <laughs> It's uh, time to write a novel. It's a pretty wild story. 
That's that. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. So, as we discussed later, his daughter with Suave Gotha, uh, Theoda killed, dedicates her life to the Chalcedonian Church. I said it the right one this time, and not Nicene. And she would go on to find, not she would go on to found an abbey and become a saint. So he's got something there as well. Very cool. Um, it's kind of not very passionate. Just like, hmm, sound. Doesn't sound like he's changing the world. No, no. I, very, very uh, middle of the road. But uh, yeah, I what mean, you, what are you making thinking? progress? I guess you know, definitely making done... progress because he uh, he he starts the rebuilding of Trier, which is you know, in terms of the the um church lands anyway um so i mean honestly i'm willing to like splurge on a four here feels Hmm. like you know feels like doing all the right things for the faith and making some pretty good you know movements it's just that it's not it's not very fervent doesn't have the passion that we're no looking for but it's got enough that you know when you go out of your way to do you know religiously centered things it feels like that there's something there especially if like his daughter like if she was you know in his court and everything would dedicate her life to that it tells me he at least had something that's so. what i thought well that and yeah he's not he's not being indifferent he's just mm-hmm He's supporting the faith, which at this time would, you know, from a kingdom conversion standpoint, is still relatively new, right? Mm-hmm. Very his new. dad converted the kingdom, and exactly. presumably most of the, a lot of the people in it followed, you know, some form of pagan or whatever mix of. Yeah, I can't imagine Clo- when yes when Clovis like converted it, it like a lot of con- Franks converted you know, alongside him, but I bet you a lot did not. So there's going to be quite a bit of ones that are going to slowly being converted. And by him building up the church, it's going to convert more and more and more. So I'm thinking, yeah, like he's making an awful lot of strides for a brand new. Yeah. All right. You, you talked me into it. I'll go four points as well. Look at that. Four and four for eight. Ability. So there's not much to talk of internal strife, except, except the minor little episode of him rumored being dead. And in, in that case, he quickly acted. He brought order and justice to the area. He did get invaded, but he quickly had the invader taken care of. He caused instability outside his kingdom, but inside seemed pretty stable. There was an infighting within his court that I read of pretty pretty good yeah just like the little ding that like kind of those traitorous nobles you know yeah and during those, his and supposed those, yeah and those darn vikings yeah but you know they got his bones that that they did who's laughing now probably the merovingians because they thought that guy was a giant yes that that's um funny. let's give him a let's give him a nice four Wow. For my Hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm debating between a three and a four. I'm gonna go three. This is still a pretty unstable time. The reason I gave Clovis such high is because he brought stability to an area. He started well. No, this could have gone very bad with the division of the kingdom. So I will agree yeah. for it's a toss. Yeah, it's kind of a toss up. So there's a little lot of ways slice. So you're sticking with a four, huh? Yep. You, you convinced me. All right. Four and four for eight. Royal demise. Uh, not, not as category. I'm going to go ahead and say cause of death is constant rage worn wearing down his immune system i'm still giving him a zero because (laughs) i live a pretty boring life and i could still die of rage 
Uh, the That's fact just that, called a heart attack. The fact <laughs> that we know he got ill and we actually got something instead of we know nothing of how he died, I'm going to go ahead and give him a one for that. All right. Zero and a one for one. All right. Legacy. So dynasty-wise, one of his wife was most likely Suavegotha, and she was a princess of House of Burgundy. We do not know the names of the other wives, nor how many he had or how many concubines he had. His daughter became known for her generous donations to the Church of Reims. She was the founder of the Benedictine convent St. Pierre Lviv, which is in uh, which is near the city of Sens, France, and she became the, its first abbess, which is pretty impressive. Uh, he made people think twice about attacking his son after he died, so his kingdom passed to his son to Unibert without his nobles getting ideas. His brothers, though, let's just say we'll talk about that next episode. Sounds like that this whole family's filled with ideas. <laughs> um, some other legacy items. He ended the kingdom of Thuringia. And unfortunately, up until now, uh, history hasn't really want, wanted to go in deep. I had to go into French sources because English sources were pretty useless for him and use Google Translate. So <laughs> we've got mm. that going for us. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. It is. Um, I mean, the fact that we kind of admitted right off the bat that he's forgotten. It's a big, uh, it's a big, big hit. That is. I mean, this just feels like, you know, solid enough. Mm, a five. That's the most I can give. I feel like I, Pawn Stars. I, the most I can give is a five. <laughs> I'm going to undercut you and, well, overcut you, but undercut to the seller. Um, I'm going to go for a six and uh, give them a little more money. Got and... a buddy who knows all about legacy. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Yeah. All right. So five and a six for 11. All righty, Scott. How many total points did uh, our buddy Teuteric get? All right, with my slightly more pessimistic 29 and your slightly more optimistic 31, it makes for 60. That's uh, solid. That's pretty good. He's uh, no Clovis, but he'll do. He'll do. I think he's going to be up there on the Merovingian king, Kings, so eh, we'll have to see. But that doesn't really mean anything with this score. Is he angry enough, interesting enough to be crowned as high king or disposed and become a minor lord at court or be burned at the stake? I feels like his accomplishments are like almost high king stuff, but it just, I don't know. I think it's, it's high king. It he extended the borders of his kingdom through kinsling and conquest while avoiding civil war with his brothers Dad would have been very proud. When he was challenged or betrayed, he delivered swift justice and made it very clear what happens to him if he crosses family. He kept his Frankish bloodthirsty nobility occupied, and there appears to be no major infighting, which we will discover is no small feat. And he held together a kingdom that was not completely connected. And that to me is like the definition of a high king. This is more yeah. like, this is not Clovis level High King, but like High King of Skyrim. Yeah, it feels, yeah, not very the most exciting man to me, but I uh, recognize that he probably has the High King talent. Oh, wow. I convinced you. And, you know, I'm, I was on the fence. Like, he's just like one of those, like, yeah, like he, he does does good stuff. Just like he felt less exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, he 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 did. He it felt less exciting. I would have to agree. Guess was... that's what happens when you have a tough act to follow. Wow, I think. Yeah, I think it's because we came off of Clovis. <clears throat> Otherwise, you almost convinced me to go depose him. But I agree. We'll give him High King. Congratulations. Yeah. 
Congratulations. Theodoric, you will be granted a spot on the High Council with your father, Clovis. You can, I don't know, do things together, I guess. Yep, just can't be the rank of master. No, no. <laughs> yes, yes, you are on the council, but you can't be. You are not given the rank of master. Perfect, I like it. That will bring us to the end of Teuteric the First. Let us know what you thought of him. Do you agree with us on whatever his fate is? I could see it going both ways, so I'm curious as to what the listeners think. You can catch us on Messenger on Facebook or Instagram at Quest for Power, or you could try our email at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. If you would like more Quest for Power in your life, we have bonus content for you at Patreon. Or if you don't really want that and you'd rather buy us a drink, you can do that also using the supporting link in the show notes. I personally enjoy my bourbon and my Irish whiskey. Scott enjoys his vodka. That's right. If that's not your forte, that's okay. Just go to Podchaser wherever you get your, or wherever you get your podcast. Give us five stars. It's not for our egos. It, feel, it feeds that weird algorithm machine. Uh, tell us how you would have dealt with the traders at Claremont if you need to have something to write. That's all we have for this week. Next episode, we are going to review Teodu Bert, Teodoric's son, who gave the Vikings quite a thrashing. And finally, with that, until next time, the king is dead. Long live the king! 